So without question, one of people's biggest financial goals is to buy some sort of property. Whether it be for the first time, they're upsizing, they're downsizing, or they're buying a rental property. I am very happy and lucky to be joined by my, my good friend, Denny Duma. And uh, spoilers, he's also my realtor. So just going to get that out there for um, <laughs> just transparency. Um, Denny, could you tell us what you do? I mean, what better evening? What, what, what would you rather do in an evening than have a uh, excellent glass of whiskey mm-hmm. and chat about real estate? This is all I do with my entire life. <laughs> And it is so fun, and I'm completely obsessed. Yeah. Um, yeah, my name's Denny. I uh, run a real estate team in Greater Vancouver. We now have six realtors on our team. We've been a top 1% of the industry for quite a while, five or six years. Um, we do things a little bit differently than a lot of people in Greater Vancouver, and we uh, have a lot of fun doing it. Okay. So when you say you do things a little differently, what do you mean by that? We... Well, I think of our team as a marketing company that sells real estate. Mm-hmm. With any marketing firm, you're going to be selling a product, whether it's a pen, whether it is a soda water, whether it is art. We sell real estate and we kind of, mm, we put our focuses into things that a marketing company would do, mm-hmm. not an old school realtor would do. Okay. So the things that I think we really excel at are we care so much about um, clients and customer service, uh, which also talk like we also care so much about our reputation long term, which is probably why we care so much about how we treat people and and how people um, or what people have to say about us after the transaction. Uh, And then we feel like we excel at marketing properties creatively Mm -hmm. to get more exposure to get better results for our consumers. Okay. So you mentioned kind of uh, your approach, which is kind of a new marketing approach who sells real real estate. How does that compare to like the traditional real estate realtor experience? Do you think? It's kind of like, we kind of think of it as running a business versus like a sole proprietor. And the old school realtor is a sole proprietor. It's a one person show. They may have an assistant, but they typically don't bring on other agents. They do everything themselves. And in this busy, crazy, greater Vancouver real estate environment, it is unsustainable to do everything yourself. Mm -hmm. So we run it more like a business that frees up our realtors to do the higher level things in front of clients. Um, so, and they're not wiped out by doing the other things that we have people doing that are really good at those specific things. Yeah. Like the personality of a really good realtor is not someone that is going to thrive in an area of organizing strata documents or uploading photos to MLS. Mm-hmm. It, they're really time consuming things. And there are dozens and dozens of things that happen on a daily basis in our business that we, that our business has taken away from the realtors so that they can be really good at customer service and it being in front of people, yeah. which is what typically that realtor personality is good at and enjoys. That's a brilliant approach to it. And I think the teamwork is amazing. 
because I really do believe my father was a part of strategic coach for a long time, but within strategic coach, they had a concept called unique ability, which is unique ability is the things that you're really good at. People tell you that you're good at them and you can find ways to never, you can always improve on them. Right. Mm -hmm. So that manifests so differently. And I just think of our own team approach with me, my father and my mother, like my father and I are great with like the planning work and interacting with clients administration, not so much. So it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, and I think what really sets your team apart is the focus on client service and client success, client retention, and also just client interest. When you shifted I don't know if that's the way that you have always run the business, but what was the decision to run the business that way with that client-centric approach? I think both my and Jamie's backgrounds have kind of led us to this strategy, I guess. And my background's in hospitality. Worked in, my dad ran uh, sports bars as I was growing up. So as soon as I was 19, I was bartending turned into a manager and you learn that regardless of whether you're right or wrong, you just need to like tell customers that they're right. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter if that beer wasn't flat. You just need to replace the beer to make them happy. Mm -hmm. And so I think I learned a lot about um, customer service through that industry, being in that industry for five or six years. And then when I teamed up with Jamie 2014 in, uh, in real estate, he goes over and above situations to make sure that clients are thrilled with the result at the end of the day. Whether that is moving into a new place and then not being happy with how clean it is, yeah. just hiring a cleaner, getting a cleaner in, eating the three or $400. And it's not even like, it's not even a second thought. And there's never ever a conversation of, well, it's pretty clean. You know, it's just like, you're totally right. No problem. I'll get a cleaner here in 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I think like the combination and just seeing that the business does better, you feel better about yourself. Your clients feel better about you. Your clients are now yelling to all their friends about you. Mm-hmm. You can see that it works. So selfishly, yes, it is, it is a snowball effect for your business to yeah. treat people better. But at the end of the day, I think you just like get home and you're more excited and proud about what we're doing in this industry. And that gives you more energy to keep going. 100%. Yeah. Wow. I even just think about the power of referrals and word of mouth and how people just, they will, they will tell you the goods and bads. And I think that's the easiest way to hear about people you should be working with. Um, Yeah. The hospitality. That's, it was a wild time. Yeah. I appreciate a lot about what I learned in that industry. I knew even at the beginning that it wasn't something I wanted to do long-term like my dad. Uh, but I uh, grew up and uh, learned a ton that is so applicable to being a realtor or running a real estate business. Yeah. So I think let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. <laughs> um, we love real estate. We're, we'll be upfront about this. Um, we're going to take two perspectives. We're going to take what are, what are the pros of real estate and the cons of real estate? 
So what do you think are the pros of real estate? I think this one's going to be the easier of the two, right? Investing or owning a primary residence? Because they're the cons are very different, I think. Okay. If you are, let's talk about invest, or, uh, primary residence first. The cons, I guess, would be you're responsible. Yeah. If the toilet breaks, you're fix like you're fixing it, or you're paying for someone to come and fix it, or you're figuring out the problem. If you're a tenant, you're calling a landlord, and they have to deal with it every time, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, outside of that, outside of that, for primary residents, yes, markets fluctuate; they go up and down. So if there is a, you know, if something life changes, you move out of town for a job or something, and you have to sell the place right away, you're kind of forced into whatever market it is at that time. And if the market is down slightly and there's been a lot of roller coaster years and even in my nine year career now where I've seen, you know, 2017 is a really, really busy year where market values were up. 2019 was down. So there was clients that we had helped buy in 2017 that sold at a loss in 2019. Yeah. And, um, I guess that would probably be the biggest con is that you're in a market like a stock market, like anything else yeah. that can fluctuate as the world changes as years go by. Mm-hmm. What's another con in, or what's another pro in your mind? Do you think pro is you're paying yourself? Yeah. Pro is you are, you're lending money from the banks at a very, very low percentage to own an asset that will appreciate over time and you are paying down your own mortgage, you're paying down the principal on your mortgage versus paying down the principal on your landlord's mortgage. Yeah. And that is the biggest thing for me. Yes, capital appreciation is fantastic. If you own an ass- if you own a home for four, five, six, seven years, the likelihood that it is worth more today than it was five years ago is pretty high. If you look at the history in Greater Vancouver. But uh, the big thing and the stable, consistent thing is that every month that you make a mortgage payment, you are paying half of that or three quarters of that, depending on interest rates at the time, into yeah. your own pocket versus someone else's. And that's that's a funny thing because with a mortgage, you're forced to do that. Like you actually have zero option. Um, it's funny on the financial planning side and like the investment management side because we have something called paying yourself first or dollar cost averaging, which is basically like um, you set up a, a regular monthly thing that goes into the market at a specific day, or it could be monthly, whatever day. So, but that you have to take some effort to do, right? Like you have to go actually work with your advisor or by yourself and set that up. Whereas a mortgage, it's like, yeah, you're paying it. Sorry. Totally. It's a four savings plan, right? And that's the same thing that I have with my financial advisor is that they just take money out of my account every Monday morning. Yeah. I don't even see it. I don't have to like sign off on it. They just do it. Yeah. And when you look back over like a two or three year span and, and that chunk is going into a um, investment account every Monday morning, it adds up really quickly. It does. And so when you're like doubling down with your mortgage and your principal pay down, and then you have this like little savings account on the side, this is how you build wealth long-term. Yeah. And it's, it's the, I think that's a big lesson here is wealth is built with consistency. And it's not like one of those uh, it's always, it's always like the, the turtle and the hare race thing. That's like, okay, you can do as much for, there are benefits to starting like early and quick and getting that momentum. But I think in the long run, consistency always wins. So that's a great lesson. I saw something on uh, Instagram recently that was just like a meme about investing. 
And it was, I'm going to butcher it, but it was like, here's the idea anyway. Someone at 20 years old put like $10,000 per year into a savings account for 10 years and then stopped. Mm -hmm. And the other person didn't start at 20 years old. They started at like 35 years old. Yeah. And they put $10,000 a year into this savings account for like 25 years. And at the end of that, say, 35-year window, the person that stopped investing after 10 years had more money than the person that invested $10,000 per year for 25 years just because they started earlier. Yeah. It's, and that's the magic of compounding. There's been so much talk about compounding, like Einstein. Compounding is the eighth wonder of the world. Um, who else said good stuff about compounding? Compounding, if you understand it, you benefit it. If you don't, you unfortunately pay the costs associated with it. But yeah, starting early is always a good thing. Even if it's small, right? Like yeah. I just made up a number of $10,000. But if you're like in university working at Starbucks on the side, put $100 out of every paycheck that you get into this account or yeah. you know whatever extra that you can. If it's 50 bucks on top of your tuition and rent and, you know, whatever else is at the time. Yeah. But just start and, and like you mentioned earlier, consistency is, is the king. Yeah. Yeah. Now this is going to be a little harder. What are some cons of real estate? Although I experienced one con today. Um, my <laughs> maintenance. <laughs> maintenance. Yeah. My uh, water tank blew, so we had to uh, fix it. Totally. Yeah. So what are some other cons of real estate? On the investment side, a con is that you have to be a landlord. Yeah. Right? That you're at the mercy of how handy your tenant is. Mm -hmm. And I've had tenants that have called me for broken toilet flushers. And mm -hmm. you have like you have to be a little bit compassionate yeah, to people and, true. and say, okay, you know what? No problem. I'll fix it. But then when I go over there and I show them, I'm like, hey, see the sticker here? <laughs> this is four dollars and ninety-nine cents. Yeah. You can go to any hardware store. <laughs> Even if you just send me the receipt, yeah. like it's pretty easy to replace, but you, yeah, being a landlord, you are kind of at the mercy of how, how good you pick a tenant, I guess. Yeah. Um, there's pros and cons of being a landlord. Uh, con is that if you're not the most handy person in the world and you get hit with a problem on a Friday night, yeah, that, uh, could be harmful to the home if it's not fixed quickly you are dealing with it. You're calling a plumber. You're calling someone if you're not able to do it yourself. Yeah. And uh, it's not, uh, people think investing in real estate, especially in cities like Greater Vancouver that are kind of getting to this world-class stage. And obviously it's very expensive in Greater Vancouver, but we live in a ridiculously beautiful city. People think real estate is, or investing in it is very sexy. Yeah. Right? Well, I, I even think about like, how many people, for example, get their real real estate licenses? Yeah. How many people become mortgage brokers? How many people um, are just, how much marketing is directed towards real estate right now? Where it's difficult because people often forget that any success in anything requires work. So I don't know what, what your thoughts are on the amount of marketing dollars going towards real estate right now. And if that shows kind of a trend of what's happening these days. From where? Um, just in terms of like, there's so, maybe it's selection bias with Instagram on my part, right? Probably, I'll, yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll agree to that one. But um, just the, the sure number of real estate opportunities out there right now. 
um, whether it be even through alternatives of real estate, because we're bombarded with, for example, mortgage investment trusts, uh, REITs, or sorry, real estate investment trusts. So people trying to bring those into their their portfolios too. Mm -hmm. There just seems to be a lot of focus on real estate right now. Wonder what your perspective is on that. Honestly, it's it's hard to go out with friends or like to a party or a wedding and not hear people talking about real estate. Even if you go on the SkyTrain yeah. and you just sit there and observe people, you're going to hear someone talking about, oh, my cousin just bought this or, hey, I just moved over here or uh, my friend just got a real estate license or whatever, right? I'm doing a renovation on my home right now. It's constant. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've lived in Greater Vancouver most of my life, so it's hard for me to compare to other cities, but I would assume that it's fairly localized to Greater Vancouver just because of how popular a city we live in. Yeah. Every single year we're growing. I think I heard some stat that is like 80,000 people are moving to Greater Vancouver every year for the next five years, or that's their estimation. Yeah. What's the math on that? 400,000? For Canada? About 400,000. What's, eight, what's 80,000 times five? <laughs> It's 400,000. So that's another 400,000 people in five years from now. What's our population in Greater Vancouver? Like 2 million-ish? Fact check. 2463 since 2016. So it's probably close to 3 million now. So 3 million, 400,000 is roughly 20%, 25%. 17-ish, 17 to 20, yeah. That's a lot of growth in a very short period of time. And the challenge right now in Greater Vancouver is that our supply is not keeping up with 400,000 people moving into Greater Vancouver. Yeah. Which is why you're seeing property values, well, it goes up and down like like any market, but over the last five years, we've had a lot more big years than we've had slow years. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the reason that people are so obsessed with it is that it is a or what appears to consumers to be a foolproof way to make money. Mm-hmm. Seems like you can buy anything and in five years from now, you're going to be a millionaire. That's like the mindset of a lot of, a lot of younger people in, in Greater Vancouver Yeah, is that I just need to buy something. Mm-hmm. My dad bought this house for 40 grand. Now it's worth two and a half million dollars. I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> It was different times back then. Yeah, that was 40 years ago. I was just thinking about one con to real estate is that it's very difficult to transact in. So just in terms of like, because it does encompass a large part of somebody's net worth potentially. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's all these things of home equity, lines of credit and stuff like that that you could set up. But if if you have to sell a property... There's a lot of fees that goes into it. So I, I think that's one con to real estate that people need to be aware of. It's, it is definitely, well, let's, what are some of the fees that goes into it? Honestly, it's a really big con. And that might be the biggest one is that it is very expensive to, to buy and sell. <clears throat> when you're buying a million dollar home, you're going to be paying real estate, or you're not paying a real estate commission. On the sell side, you pay real estate commission. But a lot of our clients are buying and selling at the same time, right? So a lot of the conversation that we have with people is... Like if you're upsizing from a small house to a big house, for example, because this example probably makes the most sense. 
If you're living in a single family home and you wanting to move up for lifestyle to a better street, to a better neighborhood, to a different neighborhood, more space, newer home, whatever, closer to schools for your kids, whatever the circumstances are, it's going to cost you probably eighty dollars to $100,000 to make that move. Mm-hmm. Based on selling a $1.4, $1.5 million home, buying a two to $2.5 million home. It's a really expensive. And so a lot of the conversations that we have with people are like, sure, let's do this house hunt. But it better be a friggin' good house for you to make this move. I don't want you to come out of a house and be like, well, you know, it's not my favorite street. doesn't have the number of bathrooms that we want, whatever. We're going to have to do some renos. But it's better than our house, so maybe we should just do it. Like a lot of the times I'm just saying like, wait for something really good. Who cares if it's 12 or 24 months from now? You have a home yeah. that is a more affordable price point that is going to be easier to sell than this two or $3 million home that mm-hmm. you're looking to get. And if you're not happy in three years from now in this home, or you want to do this whole juggle again, now you're, there's another hundred thousand dollars out of your pocket for property transfer tax, for lawyer fees, for real estate commission. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. But if it's part of a, and I, I know you put out a lot of content on timing the real estate market, how it's not really, well, of course, that's oh, easy. Gonna, <laughs> <laughs> Just like timing the stock market. Exactly. There's it's two decisions you have to make. Always buy. <laughs> Always That's buy. my philosophy. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, but so we're talking about transaction fees. Yes. Uh, the turnover, I guess, people flipping houses, they're incurring a lot of costs. Flipping ho- Carl will be able to shed a lot of light on this because yeah. he's a contractor, but <clears throat> flipping a one residence home, whether it's a single family, a condo, the margins are very, very tight. And unless you're doing a lot of that work yourself, if you're buying it and selling it in a similar market, you are, the margins are really, really, really thin. Where this house flipping kind of became popular on HGTV and in greater Vancouver is that if you buy a home, single family home, you renovate it over the next six to nine months and you sell it in 12 months from when you bought it, the likelihood that you made 10 to 20% just in the capital appreciation mm-hmm. was pretty high. Yes. So it became super popular because, yes, they were adding a little bit of value with renovations, with a new kitchen, with whatever, flooring and bathrooms and cosmetic updates. Mm-hmm. But where, mo- where most of the gain was, was, was market appreciation. Yeah. Same with building homes. Like if you are currently going to buy a piece of land today and you needed to sell that new house today, the margin is razor thin. Mm -hmm. You're betting on, and what has worked a lot in the last two decades in Greater Vancouver because it's been so busy and how prices have uh, risen so much, is that developers are almost factoring into their budget that this piece of land in three years from now when this home is built is going to be worth more. Yeah. So I'm going to make probably 20% on this land alone, plus I'm going to make 10% on my construction. Yeah. That's very true. But flipping a, like, condo flipping in a similar market is almost impossible with the transaction cost. Yeah. It's very, very thin. Yeah. Like, if you're... If you're renovating a, a 1970s two-bedroom condo that's 900 square feet, you're probably into a renovation 
for on the low end, 60 to 70 grand. If you're hiring a contractor to do it, you're spending at least a hundred. And is your sale price after paying property transfer tax on the buy side, let's say that's 15 to $20,000. You're paying real estate commission on the sell side. That's $25,000. That's $35,000 right there. That's $40,000 right there. Plus your legal fees. So let's say you have $50,000 in transaction costs on the buy and the sell. Are you going to sell that condo for more than $150,000 than you bought it in a similar market? Pretty, give me pretty close. Depends on the time frame. <laughs> exactly. Totally. How long do you have? <laughs> totally. Huh. That's the thing. Like, and in the idea is very sexy, right? Yeah. I'm going to buy this condo. I'm going to put 80 grand into it. It's going to look pretty. I'm going to sell it. And I'm a real estate investor now. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm a flipper. I'm going to make 40, 50 grand yeah. and I'm just going to roll that into the next one. But then a 2019 happened and we had clients that did this and they try to sell in 2019 and they're taking a $50,000 loss. Otherwise they're just sitting on an empty property because what a lot of people don't think about or take into consideration when they're looking at these flips, especially in strata, you got to be careful because most of the ones that are run down and need the renovation are older buildings. And in older buildings, there are usually rental restrictions that may not allow you to rent it if the market goes down. And there are also potential building maintenance items that may come up in that time that you own it. Mm-hmm. So if you have to sit on it for two or three years, even if maybe you're allowed to rent it, now you're looking at a roof replacement. That might be a ten dollars to $15,000 assessment. And that is eliminating or eating into that margin that is already pretty small. Yeah. Which is, this is one huge point of why I think working with a realtor is so important in that a good realtor who knows your goals and what you're trying to accomplish will be able to look at the strata documents and pick out, oh, did you know that there's this rental restriction? Did you know that there's this, there's new project coming up? There's this new renovation. There's this new fix, whatever is happening in the place. So that's one like one really good reason of work, why working with a realtor is really important. It's actually quite shocking uh, how many times we're on the sell side of a strata property and like strata documents are available. Let's say we get an accepted offer. We email the strata documents to the listing agent. <clears throat> we'll follow up a few days later. Any questions at all on, on what you've gone through? And you would laugh how many times we get the response of, well, I haven't read them. I just sent them off to my client. I'm not sure if they've gone through them yet. If you've ever bought a strata property, it is an overwhelming amount of paperwork that is in a strata document package. I've seen strata document packages that are over 500 pages. As a consumer buying their first place, you have no clue what to look for in that strata document package, right? You're looking at a depreciation report that's 180 pages with graphs and charts and mm-hmm. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of numbers, big numbers. And you're like, what the heck am I supposed to be looking for here? Honestly, it's one of the most important things when buying a strata property is reviewing that package and prepping a little easy to read Cole's Notes version for a consumer. Yeah. Hey, this is what you're going to expect in five years. The roof's 20 years old. When it comes up, it's going to come up. Could be two years, could be seven, but it's going to come up. It's probably going to be ten to twelve thousand dollars for you for your unit, unless they decide to 
take a big chunk out of their contingency, but they don't have a huge, you know, like whatever examples you can use. But it is, uh, it's quite shocking how few realtors actually do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can, well, like on our side, it's like, for example, somebody who has group benefits and we ask them the, the question of like, okay, do you know your group benefits? No. Uh, unfortunately, it's it's very complicated, and it does take like a specific skill set to be able to read through it and be like, okay, this is actually what this all means. Um, so I, I would argue that we all have our specialties and we all have those areas that we can do it in. It just might not be in real estate or finance, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? So, um, yeah, I'm just thinking about going through my first strata documents and. That was overwhelming. Isn't it? Right? Very overwhelming. Because yours was like, what, 20 years old when you yeah. bought it? And uh, because, you know, buying real estate as a first-time home buyer is not intimidating enough, you got to throw in all that other stuff, right? It's, an, it's, it's extremely intimidating for young people right now. Yeah. <clears throat> You're looking at a one-bedroom condo in Vancouver for $650,000. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, what the hell? Yeah. I just... Came out of university. I have $40,000 worth of student debt. I'm making $55,000. How am I supposed to, how am I supposed to spend $680,000 on a one bedroom condo? Yeah. I don't even know if I want to live in a one bedroom condo. I've been dating this girl for like four years. She wants me to buy her a ring. <laughs> We're talking about having a kid. We're going to need two or three bedrooms. Where, what, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. It's so intimidating. Let's, I think that's a good transition because I think a lot of people are discouraged in Vancouver right now. And to those people, what would you say? And maybe let's give them some tips to deal with the market. There's always like the first conversation we have with any new client is like, what's, what's the longer term goal? Sure. Okay. You called me because you have a $600,000 budget. Let's ignore that for a few minutes. What, what do you want your housing situation to look like in 10 years from now? Are you married? Yes. Are you planning to have kids in two, three, four years? Yes. Okay. Then the one bedroom in Yaletown, you're probably going to be calling me in 12 months and having to sell. Remember those transaction costs we just talked about? It adds up quick when you're doing this buy and sell three times in five years. Yeah. So like, what's the long-term goal? If the long-term goal is like townhouse in the Tri-Cities, awesome. Mm -hmm. Currently that costs $1.2 million. You don't want to spend that much or you don't have that much money. Perfect. How do we plan to get there? Yep. Get in to the market. Get into it. Because in five years from now, I guarantee you that three-bedroom townhouse in the Tri-Cities is going to be worth more than it is today. Yeah. So how do we how do we snowball? How do we be consistent in our uh, savings plan to get you there in five years from now when you have a two-year-old or whatever? <clears throat> Sometimes it is, sometimes it makes sense for people not to live in the first place that they buy. Sometimes it makes sense to buy a one bedroom condo in a really good location close to a SkyTrain that's going to be super easy to rent, that's in a newer building, it's going to be pretty low maintenance, and someone else is paying your mortgage for you. You're in the real estate market now. So in five years from now, you have built some equity from your tenant paying down your mortgage, and the likelihood of that property going up in value is pretty high. Then we reassess. Yeah. If we see a couple of good years in real estate over the next two years and you buy that thing for 600, now it's worth 700. 
two years later, maybe we're talking about refinancing to pull some equity out to buy another investment property mm-hmm. or to you have the options of keeping that refinancing and buying something else to live in or rent in rent rent out or you're selling it early because your dream of upsizing actually makes sense now because you can afford the 1.1 or 1.2 million because you've gained a hundred grand plus your plus your tenants paid down fifty thousand dollars worth of your mortgage or whatever yeah i think the people might look at real estate and correct me if i'm wrong as an all or nothing approach Absolutely. Like not, there's not steps that you need to take to get to where you are. Um, like for example, that whole brilliant thing, that 10 year vision, I think that gives context into what people want to accomplish with their real estate. And then you can actually tailor solutions to get there. The whole idea of just getting in the market and renting that out, that is a very creative example that I don't think people would think of on their own because, well, that's not what comes to mind at first, right? Depends how you grew up, right? Like I think a lot of um, say people that are retiring now, a lot of them grew up in a time where debt was bad. You pay off your mortgage as quickly as possible. Mortgage rates are eighteen percent. Get rid of that thing as as fast as humanly possible, and don't ever take debt ever again. Just save. Put your Put your pennies in a savings account and in when you retire, you'll have some cash, you'll have your house paid off. Boom. What low mortgage rates allows you to do is to leverage off of an asset like a condo, townhouse, house, and snowball. And it is really one of the most rewarding things for me to see consumers that came in saying, I want to buy a one-bedroom condo, I want to buy a two-bedroom condo, and looking back seven years later, and now them living in the house that they want to live in, plus owning an investment property. Yeah. It's really cool, because a lot of those, like you said, a lot of those conversations at the beginning are just like, I need some guidance. They're asking questions, and you can tell that they're just like overwhelmed. So trying to take a little bit of that stress away and just be like, you know, provide solutions or different examples. And at the other end of the spectrum, some people are completely uncomfortable with leverage and taking on more debt or more risk, which is totally fine. Yeah. But when they have options and they understand that, oh, shoot, like really recently we met with someone who was wanting to sell a one-bedroom condo and upsize to like whatever it was, two-bedroom condo or townhouse. <clears throat> after a really brief conversation, do you have to sell this? They're like, no. Have you thought about keeping it? No. But then just like playing out the options and at the end of the conversation, they get to make the decision. Yeah. If they're comfortable refinancing, owning, two, having two mortgages, having someone being a landlord, again, not everyone wants to be a landlord. But um, a lot of people think think it's just like, I need to buy a one-bedroom condo. When I grow to that in two years, I need to buy a two-bedroom condo and yeah. sell the one-bedroom. Then I'm going to have the two-bedroom. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get married. Once we have a kid, we're going to put the kid in the second bedroom. Once we have two kids, oh, we're screwed. Now we're going to the townhouse, mm-hmm. but we have to sell the two-bedroom condo. It's not that stringent. And we're in such a cool city that is extremely desirable to live in. 
and the opportunity through real estate here is is um, unlike ninety nine percent of the world, right? Look at look at the prairies in Canada. Look at the uh, like the middle of the U.S. You can get a house there for two hundred eighty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Sure, but in fifteen years from now, it might be worth two hundred ninety five thousand yeah. dollars. Versus in Greater Vancouver, you can buy a one bedroom condo for five hundred grand, and in fifteen years from now, it might be worth a million dollars. Yeah. So I think a lot of people think very um, singularly about real estate in that like this is only seen as a place for me and my family to live. Yeah. But if you consider it being an investment as well as a place to live, you just, you have so many options in Greater Vancouver. Yeah. And I think one thing about real estate as an investment that I know people love is just the ability to see it, to touch it, and to just Absolutely. just be there. Because, so for example, in the stock market, we know a lot of Canadians have a bias towards Canadian stocks. Why? Because that's all they see, that's all they know. Why would that you go to another country where there might be other opportunities if they don't know those countries, right? So it's, it's, a, very, it's a very familiar-based thing. And I think that's one interesting thing of why people just love real estate so much. Am I wrong about that? Absolutely. No, no, absolutely. I think um, it's also a point of pride. They like talking about it. Mm-hmm. Hey, I just bought this pre-sale. Have you seen this new pre-sale in Brentwood? Have you seen this building? And they're like talking about it to their friends and it's cool mm-hmm. versus like, I just bought RBC stock. It's going to pay me a 3% dividend. <laughs> like how many, how many conversations with your friends have you ta- talked about buying a stock? Yeah. Very rarely, right? Yeah, but I, everyone I talks about, yeah, <laughs> the pre-sale or I just did this big reno. Yeah. Uh, I put a basement suite in my house. I'm going to rent it out for $2,000. That's pretty cool, hey? Yeah. All the time. Like it's like this big point of pride that people have is owning a piece of something. And that's yeah. like a, a growing world-class city. Yeah. But going back to your point about uh, leverage, a lot of people being uncomfortable with leverage. Mm-hmm. You did make a good point about, it's really about how we were brought up with our views on debt. Um, I feel a little more comfortable ta- like taking on more leverage just because my father is like, a lot of my financial literacy came through osmosis because my father is a financial advisor too. And we work together. So like, I'm very comfortable with debt and the use of leverage, but that's a different story, right? It's like giving somebody a credit card who doesn't know how to use a credit card. That's kind of dangerous, but if you know how to use a credit card, it's actually a brilliant tool to build your credit score. So it's, it's interesting to see that play out, especially in the lives of our clients. How were you brought up with debt growing up? Because it really is, especially when you're talking about 20% interest rates. Yeah, you pay that off quickly, right? So it's just, it's just an interesting observation. Um, yeah. I think, I think people educate yourself, right? Like you know what your monthly budgets are for housing, food, your kids, whatever. Educate yourself on like, not just what your dad told you. If your dad says, don't do the mortgage thing, pay it off as quickly as possible. 
why not like listen to some podcasts about people that are professionals in these industries and like hear what they have to say. Yeah. When was the last time your dad bought a house? 47 years ago. Okay. Well, things have probably changed. That's like me giving my kid a phone from the year 2002 when I have a kid in the year 2063. Right. It's like, no kid. No, Sonny. What did we have back then? Was it the Razor back then? Yeah. (laughs) I think so. This is the best one, son. <laughs> okay, you well, this. things have changed. Right? You could do this with it. Yeah. <laughs> Flip it open. Remember T9 Word? Oh, man. It used to take, used to take like six or seven minutes to type a sentence. Yeah. On a text. Anyway. Digression. But that's like, that's what I think. I think like when someone is, is strongly against something, I want to find out why and... Often, if you're that strongly against something like debt or anything, it's uh, it's just a personal experience thing that may not even be relevant anymore. Yeah. And so, like, I think of this. I think of mortgages now, let's say, are 5.5%. But, like, a couple of years ago when we're having these conversations with clients and, and mortgage rates are one5 to 2%, thinking, like, I'm going to... I'm going to take out as much money as the bank will give me. And even if like with that extra cash, if I refinance a property, even with it, if I put it into some like conservative funds, what am I going to net? 8% maybe yeah. out of that fund? Depends. Yeah. So let's say net, net, I'm making 6% on that. Yeah. And that wasn't that difficult a few years mm-hmm. ago. So now that rates are like five and a half, six percent 6%, maybe like, Risk tolerance changes a little bit and the, and the uh, idea changes a little bit. Yeah. But I still really like the idea of owning real estate long-term. And even if the rates are a little higher and your cash flow position on a rental property maybe is a little bit worse than it was a year ago, <clears throat> I still like the long-term benefit of real estate. And I, and I understand it so well. I don't really understand the stock market. Yeah. It does things that make no sense to me. Yeah. But I understand real estate so well, and maybe that's the reason for my comfort level yeah. in it. And you're, you maybe be the opposite of me, understanding the financial world much better. And maybe your comfort level in, of investing is more on that side. But yeah. But I think it, and this is where I'm very passionate about it. It, it work, it's your overall financial plan that really matters. So, for example, you need to look at your value as a, as in your career right? So for example, finance. Well, I of course have globally diversified portfolios, but I'm also very comfortable with real estate because it's a diversifying asset from all of my assets in the financial world. Like my career is in the financial world. My portfolio is in the financial world. Yeah. So it's from that perspective, I, I think like it's good to still diversify your wealth amongst different uncorrelated assets just for as a practical point of view. But um, I, I do agree with that in that we generally invest in what we're comfortable with always. My f- biggest pro that I haven't mentioned yet about investing in real estate is you get to invest someone else's money and you keep 100% of the benefit, right? Mm-hmm. So I have to put 20% down. Let's say this house is worth a million dollars. You have to put in $200,000, which is a lot of money, but the bank is giving you $800,000, 80% of that home's value, someone else is giving me. I don't need to accumulate $1 million to buy this asset to have the benefit of it. I only have to accumulate 20%. 
And I get 100% of the benefit in seven, eight years from now when I sell that thing. Mm-hmm. And I get 100% of the benefit of the tenant paying off my equity, right? Yeah. It is a long-term, long-term, excellent way to build wealth, I believe. I would not argue with that. But I think one thing that you guys do very well is education and why education is so important. It's because from our experience, when you're educated about something, you just make better decisions. You, you, you miss the mistakes that other people have had to learn that maybe set them back a long time. What role has education really played with your work and your, with your clients? Honestly, my biggest point of pride, part of the reason for setting up this business and having people to handle a lot of the tedious day-to-day things that have to happen in a real estate transaction but aren't fun and are very big time-consuming things is because I feel like my benefit to consumers is the education process, is sharing the experience. And in most most new meetings, one of the things I always say to people, especially when you get the feeling that they're a little bit guarded or you know they don't trust you yet or my dad told me to use John, I called you because my friend used you and really liked you. I'm not so sure about this yet. You're young. John's 63. He might know more, you know? So I, I always say my job in this process is to educate you. My job is to provide you information and give you my thoughts on what that information means. Mm-hmm. And your job is to make the decision. I'm never going to try to like push you one way or the other. I'm going to educate you and tell you what that decision will mean for you. And then you get to make it. Yeah. And usually that will like kind of bring people down a little bit and be like, okay, and I, I like that approach. Um, but it is, it's been unbelievable. The, that has been by far the biggest value add, I believe, that our team gives to consumers mm-hmm. is thousands of transactions of experience and just so much personal experience. I've yeah. bought and sold a lot of real estate personally. I've done big renovations. I've owned investment properties. I've done a couple of reno- yeah, a few renovations now. I own a property in the States. So like I have some experience down there too. And it's just like sharing all of that. And the only way you really acquire that is by doing it. Mm-hmm. It's not really something you can read in a book. Like you can't, hey Carl, I would like to renovate my entire house. Is there a blog post you can direct me to that I can read about that will tell me exactly how that experience is going to go? That'd be a large blog. It would be, yeah. <laughs> but even just knowing that like, okay, your budget for this reno is 100 grand. What are you trying to do? Yeah. Budget 150. Yeah. You know, like, if it, it's at the point now like where I think a lot of people really like working with us. Yes, because of our personalities and that we're pretty low-key in terms like we're not very salesy like your typical used car salesman and what kind of like the stigma of a realtor in the 80s and 90s kind of was with the flashy suit and the ferrari and Mm -hmm. whatever but i think a lot of people really appreciate how like construction knowledge knowledgeable we are walking into a home and you say hey that roof needs to be replaced in two years Mm -hmm. that's gonna be fifteen thousand dollars oh this is poly b do you know what poly b is nope here's an education on poly b yeah all these windows are 19, uh, whatever, 72. Mm-hmm. See how they're foggy? You know what that means? Nope. Like, mm-hmm. that's what a showing is. Yeah. So just for context, um, <laughs> when, uh, when we were buying our, our place, we, had, we were very lucky because we had Denny and my father-in-law, who is also in construction. He's a contractor, yeah. Um, 
inspecting the entire place. So it was a great experience. And I'm kind of like, oh, <laughs> so I can vouch for that construction knowledge. Very useful in the process. Honestly, it's, it's uh, I really enjoy that part of the job too. And I enjoy, there's different levels of renovations, right? And a lot of people, we talked about flipping. A lot of people flip and will use cheap material, which is not going to last but also you can tell when the craftsmanship of how this material is put in is not very good. And so it's doing a few renos myself now. I, I'm pretty comfortable acknowledging how well that renovation was put together. And that floor is creaking and they literally just put it in. And this board sinks. We had that a couple times ago. <laughs> Why is it sinking? Because oh, there's no underlay or it wasn't installed properly or yeah. whatever. But um, that's what I like doing. I like being in front of people. I like educating. Mm -hmm. And so back to like how we started this conversation of why the business, why multiple people on the team rather than me just trying to do or me and Jamie trying to do everything is because we're better because of the sum of the team. Yeah. Because each person on the team gets to do what they're good at. Yeah. Do you have any closing thoughts or tips for people who are kind of just looking into real estate and are kind of on the fence of if it's a good or bad idea for them? If it's a, if it's a good financial goal that they should be pursuing or not? Don't ask your dad questions. There's some dads out there that are excellent. Yeah. It's just like the uh, the stigma of the dad showing up to a home inspection and saying, I don't like this. Yeah. <laughs> you paid what? <laughs> <laughs> yes, John. It's not 1903 anymore. <laughs> uh, start small. Yeah. Be, don't push yourself on the first one because you'll feel really uncomfortable and it'll be really stressful. So start small. If you're but if you go to a mortgage broker and they tell you you can max out at six hundred fifty thousand dollars, and you don't like what you can get there, consider buying an investment property first. And you don't have to go to that six hundred fifty thousand dollar range. You can look at something that is smaller, uh, less expensive, but focus on like if you're looking at investment property first, you're looking at cash flow location potential appreciation down mm -hmm. the road because of where it is or the neighborhood upside potential. But um, I think the biggest thing for young people is they, they think and they assume that they have to live in the first place that they buy and not, not is that always the right decision for people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think before this conversation, we're talking about um, I was very lucky to be able to stay at my parents' house and build up a ton of, of equity to be able to buy my first place. And if you have that option, that is not a bad option. I think often there's so much shame associated with living at home, but it, if you're looking to do something with it, I, I don't see that necessarily as a problem. But most of the time, in my experiences, people want to move out of their parents' house because their friends don't think it's cool. Yeah. Your friends will think you're really cool if when you're 50 and you own five places and you're living in a sweet place because you took the extra 12 months yeah. that it took to save the extra 25K or whatever that is to buy that first property when they were going out to the Roxy. And I know the Roxy's not even around anymore. 
We're dating ourselves. They're going out to the Mirage <laughs> on Fridays and Saturday nights. Yeah. And spending 200 bucks a night. Yeah. You were working yeah. and saving as much as you could to make that first investment, whether it be in stocks, mutual funds, a piece of real estate, a condo, whatever. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing that people need to get over is uh, who cares who thinks you're cool. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's the greatest tip of all. <laughs> you do you. Well, Denny, thank you for this conversation. Where can people find you? I feel like I'm pretty visible. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Instagram is probably my uh, platform of choice. That's where I probably share the most. Um, run a few podcasts. Love podcasting so, so much. We have a real estate podcast called the Garbage Duma Real Estate Podcast. And then I do a personal podcast that is called the Denny Duma Podcast, where I just like talking to people and sharing stories and whether it be investing, whether it be sports history, like experiences and I don't know, hopefully people can take some from that. But that's the way that I learn the best is uh, like doing and listening. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to set up an education platform around how I learn. And teaching. I guess so. It's not really coming out of the idea of I want to be a coach. Yeah. Because I never really wanted that growing up. I played basketball in university and like get asked all the time to come back to coach. And it's just not my DNA. Yeah. It's not my, it's not my thing. And then I hilariously, 10 years later, I find myself in this position of like educating yeah. consumers on real estate. Yeah. So it's kind of funny the way that it works, but I don't feel like I'm educating. I, mm -hmm. I feel, well, educating, yes. I don't feel like I'm a coach. I feel like I'm just like sharing all this stuff that's in my head. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of what coaching is. So maybe, I don't know. But this is fun for me. This is my passion. I'm yeah. obsessed with real estate, everything about it. Helping people, seeing people become wealthy through real estate is is mm -hmm. obsessive to me. And uh, I guess that maybe I just fell out of love with basketball. I don't know. <laughs> that's fair. Thank you so much. Of course, man. <laughs>